You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Well, this week I read a story from a guy who received a shoebox full of letters written by his dad. Um, And he was delivered this shoebox by a nurse, and it was the same nurse who also delivered him the news that his dad, who had been suffering with cancer, had died. Uh, And in this shoebox was a bunch of letters. The first letter gave instructions along with a heartfelt, uh, a tearful goodbye from his father. But it gave instructions about the rest of the letters and when to open these letters. And the father even had a little bit of a sense of humor about it. At the end of this first letter, he put a PS and said, hey, I didn't write to your mom, but don't worry, she gets my car. And so there was, in the midst of this sadness, there was also some lightheartedness, but then this, this son was writing about how he opened these letters as he was growing up, and they would be labeled for certain situations. There was a letter that was labeled for, when you have the world's biggest fight with your mom, open this. And of course, that happened not long afterwards, and he opened it, and the letter said, apologize immediately, she loves you more than you can imagine. There was a letter for that said, open this when you have your first kiss. And there was fatherly advice after that first kiss. There's a letter that said, open this when you get married. Another that said, open this when you have a child. And the guy who was writing about it said, that one was emotional for me, almost as emotional as the next letter I had to open, which was, open this when your mom passes away. And so here was a box full of letters from a father who knew he was about to die giving advice to his son, his kind of farewell, his parting advice. And I couldn't read this and not think, man, if I knew that I was about to die, what would I write to my children? What would be the message, the advice I would want to bestow upon them? What would be the last things I would want to communicate to them? And I would like to pose that same question to you. If you knew you could write one more letter, Who would you write it to and what would you write about? What would you want to say to this person? What kind of advice would you give them? Who would it be? When we get to the book of Ephesians, which we started last week, we see Paul doing that very thing because Paul doesn't know if he's going to see this church again because Paul writes the letter of Ephesians while he is under house arrest. And the very end of the book, he talks of how he calls himself an ambassador in chains in the, the last chapter in Ephesians 6.20 because he is under house arrest. He's pretty much in prison, only he's in prison in a house that he has to pay for. So I don't know like which is worse there, like normal imprisonment, but imprisonment when you're also paying rent. So this is Paul. And as he writes this letter, he's writing to the Ephesians people that... We learned from Matt last week as he gave us that really cool tour of Ephesus, people that we learned Paul was close with. He was instrumental in them coming to know Jesus and instrumental in planting the church that they now have. And so as Paul is in prison and thinking, I don't know if I'll ever get back there, he writes to them what might be his parting advice. And in this, he reminds them who they are and how they got to be who they are, that they are children of God, adopted into God's kingdom. And they t- he, Paul talks about what Jesus did so that they could have this adoption. And if you have your scriptures with you, if you have one of those scripture journals that we've got available at the coffee bar, they're like five bucks. Um, one side is a scripture, the other side you can take notes on, or if you just have a normal Bible, you can see in the very first chapter of Ephesians, we, we get this message to the church of Ephesus of who they are and how they got there. 
And in those first kind of half chapter, in that first like half of it, Paul goes into some deep theology too, some really deep stuff that we're not skipping over today. We're going to come back to because he addresses it again further on in the book. And we're going to come back to that preferably when Matt teaches because uh, it's some real deep stuff that, you know, I don't want to have to do the legwork on that sermon. Um, We'll leave it for the lead guy. Um, But so we get to the second half of Ephesians and Paul prays this beautiful prayer. It's a prayer for these people that, again, he may not see again, these people that are dear to him, and he prays this beautiful prayer. It is a prayer that I think would be great for us to adopt, something that we could pray over ourselves. You know, God, do this in me, do this in my life. We're going to read today a great prayer if there is someone you know, maybe a child or a family member or a close friend who does not know Jesus. This is a perfect prayer to adopt for them. This is a prayer I have adopted over the students at Discovery, something I pray over these students. And also what we've sort of formed our mission as the student ministries at Discovery, we formed our mission statement out of this verse or this section of verses here, this prayer that Paul prays for the people of Ephesus. So we're going to read it, okay? We're going to go verses 15 through 21 and get ready because this is one sentence, This is a one-sentence prayer, but it is quite the sentence, all right? So we're going to read it all together, and then we're going to go back through like surgeons. We're going to cut out little pieces and really parse through this. But verse 15, Paul says to this church, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and and your love towards the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Paul gets really excited at the end, doesn't he? It's like he can't catch his breath. And I wonder if he's like dictating this, if the guy is like writing it, because this is all, all of those verses are right there, one sentence. I mean, it's a terrible run-on sentence. There's like five of them crammed in there, but you can hear Paul's enthusiasm and excitement as he prays for these people. And so we got to break this down. I want to start back just in verse 16, where he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul's saying, simply put, I'm praying for you, which we throw that at each other every now and then, right? Like, I'll be praying for you, and we just mean, like, we just mean to be nice, not necessarily we're actually going to pray for somebody, right? But Paul's saying, here's what I'm praying for you, and then he goes in depth, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. To put it simply, Paul wants them to know Jesus. Paul writing to these believers, so Paul's message even to you would be, I want you to know Jesus. And he doesn't just say know him, he he wants you to know, know him, right? He says the eyes of your heart to be enlightened, which is like a double metaphor, right? Like your physical heart, how does it get enlightened? I don't know, but also it doesn't have eyeballs, right? So he's like, I want you to understand on a deep level. I want you to personally know Jesus. 
Know him in a personal way. Not just know him in a textbook way. Not just know him as words on a page. But to know him in a deep and intimate way. A personal way. There have been a lot of studies in the youth ministry world about what helps teenagers retain their faith, stay on fire in their faith, because the trend we often see is that the older a student gets, uh, the more likely they are to drift off from church and even sometimes turn their back on Christianity in general. And so there's all these studies are like, well, the ones that, that their faith sticks, the ones that stay on fire, like all throughout high school and in college, like still have a faith that is giving them life, what are kind of the contributing factors? And one of the major factors is always that at some point before the end of high school, they obtained a personal faith, a personal relationship with Jesus, something that's not abstract to them, but something that is real and personal to them. Not their parents' faith or grandma's faith, not a faith they hear other people talk about, not their youth pastor's faith, but their own faith, their own relationship with Jesus. That's one of the things that really contributes to teenagers hanging on to and developing a real and life-enriching faith. It's got to be personal. Now, we as, as parents, if you have kids, you may be looking at that and thinking like, all right, so do I just take a hands-off approach? Like, just let them figure it out? Which sometimes I hear people will say like, well, I don't want to like shove it down their throat. I don't want to come on too strong with faith and religion because then they might rebel from it. Which I've said this before, but it's worth pointing out. It's only with church and religion that we act that way towards our students, right? Towards our kids. We never act that way towards sports, right? Nobody says like, well, I don't want to force Tennessee football down their throats so that they might rebel. No, you're putting them in the Tennessee onesie like as soon as they're born. They're like, ah, little UT fan right here, right? And we're not worried they're going to rebel against that. But for some reason, we're worried that we, we have to take a hands-off approach when it comes to their faith development. No. Another, more studies show, and I've talked about this often, but it is them witnessing your personal relationship with Jesus that demonstrates them the way to develop a personal relationship with Jesus. And so we should push faith to our students. We should talk about it, but not just talk about it and, and how cool Jesus is, but the things he has done for us, the ways we communicate with him personally, the ways that our personal faith has helped us through the years. Our goal then, as, as the student ministries you know, here at Discovery, is that we set up an environment, not where we can talk at them about Jesus, but where Jesus can talk to them. Not where I'm just talking about Jesus, but where they can be in an environment, whether it's at camp or a Wednesday night or fall retreat, where God can reveal himself to them, where he can speak directly to them. And so we just want to set up like everything right so that God can move, so that we can do everything we can to make it that they focus in on Jesus. And if they're not in those moments where people are exposing them to those types of environments, where people are talking to them about faith, then they won't know how to develop a personal relationship with Jesus. One way that I see this personal relationship often develop is in crisis, it's in a crisis that people first learn to lean on Jesus. When they have no other options, that they turn to Jesus and say, I got nothing else. And then when he brings them through that crisis, they've developed that personal relationship. That was very true of my life when I was a teenager. And when my parents divorced, and I remember for the first time, I had hardship like I'd never experienced before, and I learned to take that to Jesus. And I learned to rely on my faith, and he carried me through, and it changed me. It helped me develop a personal relationship with him as a teenager. 
That's true of us as humans as well, right? Like if you have been through a hard time with somebody, you get a little bit closer. Uh, yesterday we took the youth group tubing. There was 37 of us floating down a river. And we've done this river several times, but we've had a little bit of rain recently. And the lady, before we went on it, she's like, it's not too high to run, but it's going to be a little bit quicker today. And I was like, okay. And so we're going through. And we get to this one part where like the kids are, they're falling out of their rafts. Like I stopped at one point and there's like life jackets coming at me. And then somebody's shoe is just floating down the river. I'm trying to like grab all this stuff. But the point of this is that when you go through crisis together, you learn to rely on each other. You have a new bond in your friendship. And we see that in life. As you go through a crisis with someone, you will get closer with them. And so one way for us to develop a personal relationship with Jesus is to take our hard times to Jesus, to go through our crisis with him. When we know Jesus, we get that spirit of wisdom and revelation that knowledge of him that Paul talks about. And, and I want to make sure that we get this. That this isn't just Paul's desire for us. This is God's desire for us. That he could have a personal relationship with us. That is why he sent Jesus to our earth and to die on the cross so that he could know us and we could know him. 1 John 5.20 breaks this down. It says, And we know the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him, God, who is true. The reason God went to the lengths of sending his son to our earth and to die for us is so that he could have a relationship with us. So it's not just Paul that wants you to have a personal relationship with your creator. It is your creator that wants a personal relationship with you. And a relationship like that will change you. We see that all throughout the Bible. We see character after character get changed by relationship with God. We see Moses. When we meet this dude, he is like on the run. He has murdered a guy. He's just wandering aimlessly in the wilderness, like herding sheep. And then all of a sudden, a bush is talking to him. And so he goes from this guy with no purpose, no ambition, just running from his mistakes to becoming a leader of a nation. And when Moses dies, he's one of the most celebrated people in the Hebrew histories because God invaded his life and he developed this personal relationship with God and that gave him purpose. We see the same thing for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're just dudes like in exile, just wandering around in enemy territory, but then they become firewalkers. These fishermen later on that Jesus meets, they're just mending nets with their father Zebedee. Jesus calls them out of the boat and then they become some of the most incredible miracle workers and church starters and brilliant writers that we have seen all because their relationship with Jesus gave them a new purpose. Look at a guy like Nicodemus in the New Testament. He's skeptical about Jesus. He's a Pharisee hanging out with some sketchy dudes the more we get to know the Pharisees, right? But at the end of the story, we hear about him going and helping bury Jesus's body in a borrowed tomb. A relationship with Jesus will change you and will help you find purpose, which is the next part of Paul's prayer. In Ephesians 1.18, he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. There's a lot of talk in church circles about your calling. If you grew up in a church, you probably heard like the, the emphasis of what is your calling? What is it that God wants to use you for? And sometimes that language has maybe been taken too far, but I think we have that idea of like, what am I created for? What am I called to? And here Paul is praying that they would know the hope to which Jesus had called them. To put it simple again, the purpose that Jesus has developed for them. When you get personal, you get a new purpose, 
right? If you get personal with Jesus, that personal relationship will help you find and figure out your purpose in life. My purpose changed when I got married, right? I, when I was in college, I did a lot of backpacking, and I was like, maybe one day I'll go like backpack the entire AT, the Appalachian Trail. Do you know how long that would take? And it's like five months of someone's life. And I'm going to what? Now as an adult, just have no job for five months, like wander the wilderness. Like I now have a wife. Like what, is she going to come with me? She would hate that. And, and like, so my purpose changed, right? As a college student, I'm no longer thinking I'm going to through hike the Appalachian Trail because now I am married to my wife. When we had kids, our purpose as a couple changed, right? Like we've adopted new purpose as a couple. We had in our, our staff meeting with our church staff this week, we had a kind of an icebreaker question that Matt started the meeting out with of like, if you had no obligations, uh, no restrictions, what would you do with your life? Like what would be your dream thing to do? And I remember like kind of answering the question like, so do I or do I not have kids? Because if I have kids, my dream obligations, like all that stuff just changes, right? Like my real answer would be like, if I had no obligations, which my children are one of them, like I'd be just touring the country in a van, like just living out of a van at beautiful places, right? That's the dream. That doesn't work with children. I love my children, but because I have children, my purpose is now changed in what I want with life because I have a personal relationship with them. And don't hear that as me being like, oh, like I'm obligated to. It's because I love them and like spending time with them that I want what is best for them. And I don't think living out of a van is best for them right now, maybe someday, who knows. But when you get personal, you get purpose. You get purpose. And so if you are looking for purpose in your life, a great way to begin would be to work on your personal relationship with Jesus. And there's nobody better to go to to find your purpose in life than the one who created you, right? The one who knows you, the one who knows your past, your present, your future. And so if you want to figure out your purpose, spend more time with your creator, with Jesus. Then we often get to the question, though, like, yeah, but what might he call me to? It could be something huge. It could be something crazy, something I can't do. Well, let's hold that thought and get back to Paul's prayer. Ephesians 1.19. Paul says that you, you learn your, your, you get personal with Jesus, you learn your purpose, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? He's saying it is so great you cannot measure it. There is not a, a measuring tape long enough that you can spit out far enough that will measure the greatness of our God and the greatness of his power toward us who believe. So now he's saying, yeah, you may have a purpose that is difficult, but God is going to give you his immeasurable power to achieve that purpose. We, ready for this, get the power of Jesus, the one who defeated the grave, the one who walked on water, the one who healed people. We get his power. And we could go back to the book of Acts and look at this of how there's a time when those disciples, the normal fishermen, right, that had done a lot of crazy and some stupid things, some that even denied Jesus or doubted Jesus, those people are gathered together and there's a rush of wind and tongues like fire settle over their head and they get the power of the Holy Spirit as God's presence promised by Jesus. God's presence comes into their lives because they had a personal relationship with God. And so then we see these same fishermen, these same disciples going on to do the things that Jesus did. The first couple of chapters in the book of Acts, we see Peter and John go heal a guy who couldn't walk at the gates of the temple. That's the stuff Jesus was doing. Now these normal fishermen are doing it. God changed their 
purpose and he gave them power to achieve it. And so here we get to the end of this, this chapter here. And it says here, in that same power, right? So we get the power of Jesus, which is immeasurable. And then in verse 19, towards the end of the chapter, Paul gets going. He says, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. Now Paul starts filling in more information for us about Jesus so that if we don't know him, you hear about him right now. Jesus rose from the dead. God gave him the power to do that, and then he set him in a place of authority, in a place of honor at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. There's no earthly power that can touch it. There's no heavenly power that can touch it. He is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, every nation, every tongue, and above every name that is named. Jesus is greater than every title every name, vice president, president manager, assistant to the manager, like world ruler, whatever it is, Jesus is above every name that is named, not only in this age, not just today, but also in the age to come. Jesus is greater than everything that has been and will be, and we can have a personal relationship with him, a personal relationship that will help us determine his purpose for us. Because not only does he want to know you, he wants to give to you and use you so that you can have a better life. Not just a life later on, which we're promised that also, that we get to go to be in eternity with Jesus. We get to be raised from the dead just as he was by the power of God because of Jesus's forgiveness for us, because he's defeated sin, the grave, death, and the devil. On our behalf, we get to be with him later, but right now we get to be used by him. And we get to figure out what our purpose is in this world. And so two things we got to figure out when we're looking for this. We have purpose, right? And we have the power to achieve that purpose. And Jesus gives us that both from a relationship with him. So here's what I want you to see is that if you are searching for purpose, it comes from a per personal relationship with Jesus. I overdid the alliteration. The, the P's are now tripping me up. I was excited when I wrote it, and now I can't get through the tongue twister of the purpose, the personal, the power. If you're looking for purpose, it comes from that relationship with Jesus. And you can achieve that purpose because of the relationship with Jesus will give you the power to do it. Purpose and power, which are two things that I think we all, whether we realize it or not, are searching for. Looking for my purpose in life? What is, what is the point of me being here? What am I doing in my job? What am I doing with my life? What is my purpose here? And power, we, we may not realize it. We may not want to admit that that's what we're searching for, but man, trying to get the bigger paycheck is a little bit trying to get power, right? Trying to have more success is trying to have a little bit more power. Trying to move up the job chain is trying to have a little bit more power, right? Sometimes even like our, our, our things we might do out of fear, out of like maybe preparation, like, man, I want to have stability in my life. That is a, a trying to grasp at having power over a situation, right? Like I want to make sure I got a bigger savings account. I want to make sure that I got all the insurances and all that stuff in case things go south. That is us searching for power over our situation. We're all looking for some form of purpose and power. And right here, Paul tells us where we can get it. It's through Jesus, not just knowing about him, but knowing him. 
helps us develop those things that we so desire in our lives. So here's a, a question I'd like to, to ask of you guys, and, and I'd like to allow it to be a little uncomfortable of us. But where in your life are you searching for purpose and power? Where are you going to figure out what you should be doing in your life? Is it a podcast, a self-help book? Is it some sort of guru out there somewhere? Is it your friends around you? Is it just the example of everybody else around you? Like, well, this is what people do in my neck of the woods. This is what people do in my culture, in my country, in my society. So I'm going to do that too. That must be my purpose as well. One of the things I love so much about working with teenagers is they are wet cement, right? Like they don't know that purpose yet. They're still figuring it out. And so they haven't decided and they're looking around, or, am I going to do what everybody else is doing or is there something else for me? Where do you go for purpose? But also, what do you seek for power? Where do you go for empowerment? And if it is anywhere else than Jesus Christ and your personal relationship with him, I would be careful. Because anything other than Jesus, we know will fall. Anything other than Jesus, we know is under Jesus, right? Because he is the name above all names, sat in a place of honor and authority in the heavenly realm. And so that's who I want to find my power from. That's who I want to find my purpose from. Anything else is going to lead us astray. There's a movie you may have seen. It's uh, called Finding Nemo. It's a really serious movie. If uh, kids may be in here, I don't want to disturb anybody. In the movie Finding Nemo, there's a character named Dory. Dory has a problem. She has, she has short-term or just memory problems, short-term memory loss, some type of memory loss. She can't remember stuff. But then she meets this guy named Marlon. Marlon's got another problem. His son is missing. I told you it was scary. His son's, could he be kidnapped? We don't know what's happened. His son is missing. Dory develops a relationship with Marlon. And through that, she has a new purpose. She's got to help find Nemo. So that personal relationship with Marlon helped her figure out her purpose. And then as the story goes on, she's able to start remembering Wallaby Way. What is it, 220 Sydney Wallaby Way? I don't remember what it is because even though I've seen the movie a million times because I don't have the relationship with Marlon that Dory did. But it's through that relationship that she finds purpose and power. The ability to overcome her problems comes from a personal relationship. We're not looking for a personal relationship with a fish, right? That's not going to do us a lot of good. We want one with Jesus. And so to summarize this whole big sentence that Paul prays, it's a prayer for us to have faith in Jesus, a prayer, a prayer for a faith that is personal, a faith that gives us purpose and power. And nothing demonstrates God's desire for us to have that more than communion, something we gather together every week and celebrate. The fact that Jesus Christ came down to our earth and he died on the cross for us. And he told his disciples the night before he died that his body would be broken for them, his blood poured out for them, and any time they gather to do this in remembrance of him. And he passed around a bread and he passed around a cup. And so this morning in a minute when the band starts playing, the usher's gonna pass to you bread and a cup. And if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, if you have adopted this relationship with him, if you have a personal relationship with your savior and your creator, we invite you to take that cup and eat the wafer and drink the juice and remember what God did so that he could have a personal relationship with you. 
a relationship that will help you develop purpose in life, purpose that hopefully orbits around this act of communion, purpose that orbits around the fact that you are forgiven, but there are some people that need to have that same relationship and get forgiven. That same relationship that gives us power. So I hope this morning as you take communion, reflect on your relationship with Jesus. Is it personal? What kind of work needs to be done there? Reflect on the purpose that relationship has given you. Have you actually consulted your Savior on what you're going after in life? And then reflect on the power you have because you have Jesus in your life. And so I want to read these last verses. And then the band's going to play and we're going to go into communion. I want to read these last verses from Paul, kind of as a prayer. It's a prayer over us, right? But it's a prayer that helps us reflect on who this Jesus is, on who is represented in the communion elements that we have. And so we get to be personal. We get to find purpose and power. We get to have a personal time right now with Jesus who was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave Jesus as the head over all things to the church, that's us, which is his body. We are his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen.